You're listening to Love the Links Golf Radio with your hosts, Brendan Elliott and Bob Baldessari. All right, so Love of the Links podcast is back. Uh, we've had a couple month hiatus. We did season one that ended back in, I believe, April was our uh, last podcast of 14 for the initial run. Um, I'm super, super excited to get going with season two, and uh, especially because of this guy that's with me, Mr. Bob Aldessari. Bob, how you doing? R-D-B-E. I'm doing wonderful when I'm with you. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. We, You might hear us calling back and forth each other. He's B-B and I'm B-E, so that's just our pet names, I, I guess, for each other. <laughs> um, so, Bob, basically uh, what this is, and we've talked about this, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a trend. It's been a trend podcast uh, for, I would say, at least five or six years, and it's become... Uh, voice has become a big thing for uh, getting getting out there. Anything, any topics that you're interested in, uh, it's a it's a big way for a lot of corporations and organizations to spread the message of whatever it is that, pr- from a product and service standpoint. But for us as PGA professionals, it's more f- for you and I and whoever some of the other guests we may have to uh, just chat about the game that we've been involved with for a long time and that we both love very much. So that's the basis of the podcast. Um, I want to start with, and uh, you know, a lot of the listeners that may be tuning in know you and I, so we'll start from there. Um, for those that don't know who you and I are, what's up with Boston Bob? What have you been doing recently, BB? Well, recently, I, it's 12 years in the making, but I started my own company uh, years ago, I worked for Dean Beam and at his golf club in Virginia. And through the course of my journey in golf, I've done a lot of different things. Grew up with my dad as a 53-year member of the PGA of America, so I'm second generation. And my son's thinking it through, so we may have a third generation. Wow, that's there. cool. That'd be that'd be wicked cool, yeah, for sure. So I just been thinking about course ownership, and that started to get me going and also about how to help PGA pros and help the game of golf and help uh, grow the game, but also from an experiential angle. Mm-hmm. And I think the golf industry gets caught up in rates and promotional rates, and they don't do the best job on what can we do for the golf or the customer for experience. So a bit of a long story short, 12 years later, I have my company up and running. It's called Reimagine Golf. And so we are reimagining the experience at the golf facility, reimagining how everything from your scorecard, how you answer the phone, how you open the door, every small nuance at the facility, how you reinterpret, how do you rethink, how do you reimagine that aspect to the experience for the golfer? And that you create loyalty, you create people coming back time and time again. Absolutely. So there, yeah. It's just coming at the, the business of the game a little bit different. So uh, we're excited. I'm, uh, my partners are Kevin Weichel, who spent many years, almost 30 years at Walt Disney World and Randy Cavanaugh, who's uh, very, uh, Randy's dad's 60 year member of the PGA, so uh, he was up in the New York City Met area. And who came at this with really interesting mindsets on uh, growing the game, growing the business, but really experiential. And uh, how, to, how can we help golf course operators of all kind uh, to try to get people to come out and have a good time? Yeah, and I'm going to expand on some of the things that you touched on a little bit later in the 
in the podcast when we get into some of our industry topics and just kind of get your take. Uh, it, Bob and I met, uh, oh my God, probably eight, nine years ago. Uh, that was last week. <laughs> last week, yeah. I met him on the street last week. Um, now, we've known each other for almost a decade, as long as I've been a PGA member. Yeah. I'm I'm more green, I think, uh, as a PGA member than you. I'm celebrating 10 years this last September. So uh, my passion, ha- it started off with operations, and I was at a, a couple different golf courses uh, working through operations, but I really fell in love with the player development side of the game, and in particular with juniors. Uh, and that that's kind of been my path uh, for the last, I'd say, 15 years or so. And and that's how you and I met. Uh, I believe the first time was on a player development, uh, youth development committee for the PGA. Um, and, you know, it, there's a lot of golf professionals out there that are passionate about this game and about player development and about making sure that we as PGA professionals do what we need to do to make the game special for everybody involved. And you struck me from the very beginning as one of those people that really, really cared about, you know, making sure that people that came to the golf course, people that wanted to play the game, uh, had a good first introduction. And really the the whole uh, life cycle of, of customers as they come into the uh, to the game really just taking care of them to, from day one until the last time they tee it up. So that's why I'm psyched to to have you uh, doing this with me so we can kind of share our thoughts uh, out to the public. Um, so I wanted to start, we're, we're going to break this down and this is probably going to go through several different uh, life cycles as we go. Um, but we wanted to have different uh, portions of the set or different segment, different portions of the podcast. So we we discussed talking about some of the uh, latest uh, in the tour news, whether it be PGA Tour, LPGA Tour, um, European Tour, and then we would get into some of the topics of the industry, the state of the game, some player development stuff, um, and then we get into a little bit of instruction because that's kind of one of the most important, I would say, hats of the multiple hats that we wear is is golf professionals um so let's let's get jumping into a little recap of last week and what's coming up this week uh brendan todd actually uh won back to back he won at mayakoba uh they actually finished today on monday and he won in a playoff uh but bob i'm gonna ask you this you've been around the game for a long time Brendan Todd has been one of those journeymen. He's got three wins on tour, I believe, uh, up until the last two weeks. His last win was in 2014, at which point I was just reading he went through a swing change. He wanted to get a little bit higher uh, launch launch angle, and it basically backfired. And he was, and we hear the story a lot, he was thinking about getting out of the game because things went south pretty quick, and it was an extended period of that. But then we see these stories. We see them a lot with with these journeymen where they find success. Winning back-to-back, he's top of the FedEx Cup right now. Uh, what what makes someone hungry out on the tour, in your opinion, and really keep going for it even after they've, they've hit rock bottom? Yeah, it's a neat question. It, it's a mindset. I think some people just have that mindset of, 
I want to get in the mix. And Nicholas used to talk about it. Why do you practice so much? And then you want to be in that nervous state. That's why you practice. That's why yeah. you put in the work. And But, you know, I, some players, they hit that comfort zone. I think uh, on Facebook this week, I saw David Ogren's uh, really interesting post. And he'd be a great one to get on the podcast. Yeah. Here. But in, in essence, I hope I don't butcher what he was talking about. But he talked about, would you rather have a career and have some wins and then maybe a, uh, a valley, or would you want to be known as Brendan Elliott that every week finished 25th yeah. to 30th? So you're very, very super consistent, but you don't win. Or would you rather have so many wins, but then have a lot of missed cuts? Right. And I know there's many prevailing thoughts out there that, and if you look at a PGA Tour season, all of a sudden um, a lot of the, the players could be female too on the LPGA they get hot for four to six weeks. They make all their, they make maybe eighty percent of their money, and they're just hot. They're so competitive. It's razor thin. Yeah. And so they have that that razor thin. They're I don't want to say in the zone and get too cliche, but they they really just get it going all together and they make some putts and maybe get a good bounce here or there and they get some wins. And so it's it's interesting thing of would you rather have one or two or three wins in a year and a whole bunch of missed cuts or finish twenty fifth every event. Yeah, and it, it's it's interesting to me that because of the evolution of the tour, uh, with the money, uh, with sponsorship opportunities, and and you know you really can't have these conversations without bringing up one guy in particular, but but Tiger, um, what he's done from the financial standpoint, guys could do that. They could go into the tour and put it in cruise control, like you said, and and still have a really good living. So I feel in this arena in this environment now there's got to be something more than just being a good player a good ball striker able to put numbers up there has to be something deep down for these guys to to really go after it yeah my first head pro job was at a gary player signature course and gary player came out four times in three years so i started to get to know him a little bit and we were, he was amazing with with the history obviously brings to the game, but he told me something interesting one time and he said he traveled with his wife and kids and the way the price, the way the money was back then, if he didn't finish in the top three, he was losing so much money. He could not afford to be out there. And for him, it drove him to win. And the mindset for Gary player was, I got to win. I got to win. I got to win. And it's just interesting. Yeah. Years ago, the money wasn't the same. So there's probably uh, a lot of names we never heard of with somebody that was, Solid player, yeah, but just didn't financially stay out there. Yeah, and and it's it's interesting. I'm looking at the uh, the schedule for the tour next week. They're at Sea Island for the RSM Classic, and I'm looking at the defending champion Charles Howe the third. And there's another there's another journeyman, probably one of the really really nice guys out on tour, but a guy that just you know there was a lot of talk that he never lived up to the potential that he could have. But you look at the long, long career he's had and how he's always up there in in uh, fairways hit and, and greens hit, and he's just a really solid player. It's There's a lot of guys out there that are of that same mold that could win. Any given week, a different guy could win. And I don't know if you've ever interacted with Charles, but I have on a, on a couple occasions, and he's just a super guy. Great individual. Yeah, it's, it's interesting on Sunday, if you look at the leaderboard, 
of a tour event, LPGA or PGA, whatever champions. And just, I always find myself looking at who finished four shots back. Mm -hmm. And it's one shot per round. And if there was one shot per round that you improved on, you're tied or winning or a tie for lead, really. I just, I just look at that and I don't know, it's just interesting. I think it was, was a Golf Digest or Golf Magazine years ago. Maybe they still do it. But they said, what if you shot even par for every tour event? What would, how much money would you win? And the joke was, well, you'd win one event a year, U.S. Open. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought that was pretty interesting. And I just, I tend to just say, who finished four shots back? And you just think of one shot around. And that's how razor thin it is out there. Yeah. And it's... uh it's definitely a different environment from even when I was growing up, uh, when it was uh, guys like Tom Kite, the first guy to break a million on the uh, money list. And it's just the guys now with their entourages and, and fitness, and it's it's a different game. You had mentioned Gary Player, and that's going to prompt me to jump over to uh, Tommy Fleetwood winning on the European Tour this past weekend at the NetBank uh, Golf Challenge hosted by Gary Player. Uh, Fleetwood's in, put himself in a good position uh, to potentially win the Tour Championship, which is next week in Dubai. Uh, what are your thoughts on uh, Tommy Fleetwood? But a great player. I thought that was uh, telling how emotional he was in the interview. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, uh, I don't really agree, but sometimes the, the people say, you know, khaki and white shirt and non-emotional non tour players, but he, he was really emotional. I think it means a lot to him. It's tough to win out there. And I think somebody like him, he's, he's known for a lot of, certainly came close in the U.S. Open last year, but a lot of talent, yeah, or two years ago was it, um, at Shinnecock. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, just a ton of talent. And I can see him just you know, having another good year. He's, you know, the Europeans, it's interesting. They, they just bring a different flavor to the game. Yeah. And, hear about different things. I know when, when I started with the PGA of America, when I was uh, in my one role, and I went to one the PGA Championship one year, and I came downstairs, and at the breakfast area, there was about, uh, I think, six European tour players with all their caddies, and they were all huddled around one table. Yeah. They just real tight circle, and that struck me as, wow, they it's just a different culture, I think, on the European tour than the American tour, but I think, uh, you know, that was a great win for Fleetwood and probably hopefully you get some more this year. Yeah, and he, he's one of those guys that you would absolutely put on a short list of guys that might include Ricky Fowler and a couple others uh, that haven't won a major championship that definitely will be winning a major championship or multiple major championships pretty soon. So, good segue. You talked about the European uh, tour and, and the, the culture, how it's a little bit different with those guys. So, Let's just jump in real quick to some of your thoughts on the President's Cup. Uh, Tiger made his final picks, and the drama was building up on if he would abs uh, actually pick himself. Um, the The picks were Finau himself, Gary Woodland, and Patrick Reed. Um, you look on paper, and I'm looking here on the website of the, the two rosters against each other, and it's just like with Ryder Cups, you would absolutely say that the Americans on paper, it shouldn't even be a contest. Um, what what are your thoughts? What is the recipe? And I know that this is, this is something when you were at HQ with, with uh, Ryder Cups that was probably discussed a lot, but what does the American, what do the Americans have to do to 
win more of these team events? I probably maybe now figured it out a little bit. Yeah. You know, I, I think uh, we could probably use enough three hours going over this thing. <laughs> oh, we'll hit it again next week. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we can definitely do some deep dives into this, but, uh, you know, it, it's funny. Sometimes the underdog role, you you just look at things different. And every year, those, you know, U.S. team was so uh, talented and, and had the pretty good numbers and um, maybe the Europeans, they just, they, they're, well, yeah, I mentioned about that breakfast, uh, just simple things like that, the way they travel, what they have to do, their, the culture over there, it just, that probably helped. And then just the underdog mentality and in golf, you're just out there alone. You don't have the, the defense, offense, goalie, whatever, you know, it's different from a team sport. So I think, you know, over the years with Seve uh, mm-hmm. and what he did and, and you look at the emotions, how that brings out the best of players. And I you know in you know, tournament play I've done, there's some of the times I've done better was when I didn't, I thought, you know, you know, you almost feel that underdog role going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you said, that's one of my thoughts. It's, it's much easier to go into a big week like that, whether it's a president's cup or a Ryder cup being the underdog. Cause I feel like the, and you, you probably agree. I feel like the pressure is more on the favorite uh, going into these team events, and especially for the Americans with with past history of uh, some of the failures that they've had. What? Yeah, Go ahead. No, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, even like the match play aspect of it too. And people talked about well, there was a match play out there a lot, but you know, I I don't know. I think lately just. It's been nice to see a new crop of, of younger um, the U.S. players coming in there, and a, a Patrick Reed is not afraid of anybody. And yeah, yeah. Justin Thomas, and there's just uh, Jordan Spieth. I mean, you just start to think about, wow, they, they've got some talent, but I think that mindset is also a little different, too. Yeah, and those guys that you just mentioned, that's where I think things are changing a little bit in respect to these team type of events. These guys hang out all the time together down in Jupiter and and they're they're vacationing together and their families are together and and that's really what it takes i i feel going forward for uh for the americans to be successful yeah the the um one of the things i wanted to touch on uh was i don't know if you saw it in the news or, or read anything about it but i thought this was very interesting and i think in my opinion at least it was something that's long overdue this uh, collaboration with Annika Sorenstam and Henrik Stenson next year uh, with the Ladies European Tour and the European Tour doing uh, a mixed event, uh, playing on the same same golf course uh, for the same prize purse. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And do you agree that you that it's something that's long overdue? Uh, probably. I'm glad they're doing it, bottom line. I yeah. think it's good and healthy for the game. At first, I didn't I didn't have the details, and when I first heard about it, I thought, oh, they're bringing back like the J.C. Penny, right? Yeah, <laughs> which I think is fantastic. I, I wish they brought that back because that um, that'd be reinvigorated. That'd be pretty neat. Uh, but you know, I yeah, I think uh, you're seeing that in a lot of sports. I just watched uh, something the other night on the boxing and women's boxing versus men's boxing, and mm-hmm. across the board inequalities of pay and and what they do with the different sports and it goes back decades just even into the workforce of 
the women versus men. So I'm glad they're doing it. It's going to be interesting. Maybe look back in a few years and this was a bit of a turning point. Yeah, and what you had mentioned about the JCPenney, that that was something I first thought of too when when they when I saw this in the news. Uh, and you know, there's a lot of these type of different events that have been out there over the years. I I, I remember is a teenager working at an Oldsmobile Scramble, um, which is more of a national on the amateur side event, and and you know some of these uh, other what they call the the. Uh, the fun, funny season, or the you know the different events like the skins game, and and I want to get your opinion on, and this wasn't on our list of things, but what about these exhibitions like with with Tiger and Phil, or or what they did uh, over with the skins game over in in uh, Japan a few weeks back? This was something that you probably grew up on this was something i love watching their reruns with you know with shell's wonderful world of golf and these and these matches and really seeing the personalities come out of the players how do you feel about these type of exhibitions yeah it's interesting they none of them or they tend to go in their arc of yeah. whatever the the journey is and then like that skins competition went away and i think in the time of place they're awesome and I think at that time and place, it was awesome to get the players together. And I know sometimes people want to see the that uh, what's that uh, you know the you, you pit. It was always Tiger and Phil. Yeah. And to get them together in the final round and the final pairing, that was dreamlike stake for everybody, yep. and never really was happening. So if you have to manufacture it, it's not as organic, it's not as authentic, but it makes for interesting viewing. And I wonder if there's a different mindset, the industry people that are in, in the industry of golf looking at it are different than just the amateur golfer mm-hmm. versus even a consumer that just tunes in, doesn't play golf, but is intrigued by the game. So I guess if, uh, as they say, the ratings of money talk, so if the ratings are good, they're going to keep doing these things and they're going to keep trying to be inventive and innovative on what they're doing, having that those events at night under the lights. And, yep. Yeah, and the European tour's done some some cool stuff too, like what you're just talking about, and I, and I'm wondering how that's translating over in Europe. I haven't seen any data or anything for the for the amateur game for the for the golf consumer. I wonder if that's translating. Um, it we we'll soon see, uh, but we look, and I'm gonna kind of segue into some of the topics and like state of the industry, and you, you can't really talk about the state of the game without mentioning the stars of the of the different tours uh that kind of goes hand in hand and i i remember a good uh a good point that a colleague of yours and i's uh ted ellen Therio did it a uh speaking engagement he did at the golf academy of america when i back when i was working there and he was talking about the numbers that the tour pulls um from viewership or people that consume information on websites or through other media and it was a much larger number of people that have some sort of interest in the game than some of the numbers that we look at maybe through the NGF or through the PGA of America and and I'm wondering it's that age-old question especially in the last 20-30 years of what do we do as an industry to bring people over from a casual viewer or just watching a major championship um, and get past some of those barriers that we've had as an industry for so long. Yeah, that's a. I've been thinking of that for a long, long time. Growing up in the game, 
being a little kid around the clubhouse. And it's interesting. I, I go to, and you've done it too, and many of us LPGA and PGA for club pros, they you have cocktail parties, you run into people and we'll say, hey, you play golf. No, no, I blank at that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'd say, what do you mean? Well, I can't do what they do on TV. And I'll go, oh, you, you play basketball? Oh, I love shooting around. Can you dunk? Oh, no, but I would never think. So why would you think about hitting 300 yards if you can't dunk? You play tennis. Oh, I love to just hit it around. We fall down, we whiff it. Yeah. It just strikes me that people compare themselves to tour players when they watch the game in golf, yet in the other sports, maybe it's it's more of a pipe dream. But the good thing, hopefully, could be people can say, well, I can actually go into that same playing field and maybe hit a putt or a chip shot or a bunker shot or something as good as a tour player. Yeah. Um, I know I always gravitated to wanting to help get people into the game that didn't think they could play golf. Mm -hmm. And to this day, they're still playing golf. Um, but it's interesting to take the casual viewer that I can't believe how many times this happened to me where they just say, oh, I'm no good. I can't do it. And it's a bit of a shame, but it's nice that you do have that aspect of viewers. Yeah, yeah. Like, but yeah, cracking the code to get them into active golfers, that's uh, – that we need to dive into that in another podcast. Yeah, and the, and there's a lot. It's the game's definitely changed from from our standpoint. Uh, is the people that work in the industry, and definitely from the consumer standpoint, with some of the options that are out there. We we talk about some of the barriers that money's a barrier, and time's probably one of the biggest barriers. And the advent of things like like Top Golf and Drive Shack, and uh, I I think that really caters to. You know the different demographics, whether it be millennials or even even some baby boomers that may not be able to physically get out there on the golf course. Uh, which you know, if you if you're someone that's played golf for sixty years, your entire life, and you're starting to slow down physically, and and you're not able to get out there and play the game like you did in the past, it can be depressing. Uh, I've I've seen that. I've seen that with a lot of the members when I worked at Winter Park Golf Course that were a bulk of them were older people and they would, they would get upset that they weren't able to play the game like they used to. So I'm wondering how we can take things and I'm love it. I'm going to love to get your take on this. Take things like top golf or drive shack or some of the simulator type uh, arenas that are, that are popping up and use that is, is a way of letting people know that's still golf you know, you don't have to go out and play 18 holes. Uh, it's golf. It's a golf experience. So what what are your thoughts on that? I don't want to sound like George Costanza, <laughs> but I got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> yeah, and I know this is stuff that we'll probably talk about in future and we'll go deep dives and we'll have, you know, right. longer sessions than this first one. But, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, to me, you, you have a golf implement stick golf club and a ball and you're in the golf ecosystem i call it the golf ecosystem and this mm -hmm. is another thing where i say to people do you play golf no no i don't play golf oh i'd like to get you up to play well, i go to the drive range now and then do you play golf exactly oh no i i that, but yeah that's golf you go you go miniature golf that's a golf that's a golf ecosystem so i think we have a lot of people in the golf ecosystem that don't realize they are golfers yeah and so and then you know you made a comment about the maybe some physically challenged or some older people and you know operation 36 matt reagan 
Ryan, they're doing some fantastic things and they are reimagining. Yep. You know, so the, my company, we look at reimagining what is golf. So if you have a teeing ground and you have a hole and you advance the ball off the beginning of the hole ground into the hole, to me, you've played golf. Yeah. Now, growing up at the golf club, the senior tees or the ladies tees, they're so far away. I did this in some of my workshops. It could be three football fields to the from the, the women's Ford tee. And I know we've got to be, you know, the, it's a good thing getting away from categorizing the colors of the tees and all. But yep. still the Ford tee could be 300 yards. And people go, well, it's 450 at the pro tee. So we move the tees way up to 300 yards away. But for a lot of people, it might take them 10 swings to get to the putting surface. So mm -hmm. how do we reimagine that as long as you have a tee and you playing field and we're going to get it onto the putting green, that I, I hope as we go forward, the idea of a tee at forward or re-looking, reimagining what a golf course really is, uh, we can do away with some of these stereotypes of hold people back, especially not playing more golf because yeah. they get out of the game. And you you had mentioned what a golf course is, but I'm I'm sure that extends out into what a golf experience is. You know, it was a couple of weeks ago, uh, Tiger Woods had had talked about his new partnership with a uh, with a mini golf uh, franchise. I believe right. it's a franchise, and yep. I was excited as could be about that because. To, to the point you made a little bit ago, that's that's a golf experience. When we were kids, I mean, we loved the game, the traditional game, but I'm wondering how his his aura, him being Tiger Woods, and in partnering with these guys with a miniature golf uh, theme, I'm wondering how that will expand into what people think of uh, is a golf experience. I, I hope. Um if I can be respectful here, I've, I've gone to that particular website. You can't really tell the Tigers part of it until you Not really yet, start yeah. to do it. Uh, so I had no idea. My son, there's one up here in Port St. Lucie near mm -hmm. our house. My son went, my, my wife went and you know, they enjoyed themselves, but they, they didn't know the tie into tiger. And I think you're right. If more people knew that, and there was just, there's something about that tiger buzz. And if he's involved, hey, it's gotta be a cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I wanted to, and we're probably going to go at least in this first episode, maybe another 15 minutes or so. Uh, I wanted to expand a little bit more on the, on the state of the game, the future of the game. Uh, you were very much a part of bringing uh, some of these initiatives that are, at least in the golf industry, household uh, names now, like Drive, Chip, and Putt and PGA Junior League. Over Overall, and we both have opinions on, on some of these things, overall, it's doing a lot of good things uh, for for the game. I remember uh, when I sat on stage uh, back in Austin in 2017 uh, with the being interviewed for the Player Development Award, I had said that PGA Junior League is probably one of the most important programs to come along uh, for junior golf in the last couple decades. And, and I, I, I stand by that statement. Uh, there's just some things that you and I have talked about that, you know, you, you can see the bubbling up of that hopefully uh, maybe nipped in the bud about it's a program that is supposed to introduce kids or let me take that back, not introduce kids, but 
have kids that uh, wouldn't otherwise have thought to get into golf because they're more geared towards team sports. Uh, maybe they're basketball players or football players or soccer players. Uh, but with that team aspect, it's something that may intrigue them a little bit more. So obviously, if they're not golfers and they're coming in there uh, from from other avenues, they're going to be newbies to the game. And, and, you know, this program, at least in my opinion, should really be focusing more on the newbies. Um, having a good balance, obviously, it's a, it's a fun thing, too, for more advanced golfers, for more experienced golfers. Uh, but what are some of your thoughts on, on PGA Junior League? Yeah, it's pretty cool to, you know, my role is uh, when I was director of youth golf development to be in the room when it was, I was tasked with another person to create a little league baseball for golf mm -hmm. and you go, whoa. And then the next year or so, Hey, here's a folder with a lot of information. Uh, we're going to work with the USGA and the Augusta national golf club. And we're going to call this event, I think we're going to call it a drive, chip, a putt. Um, you need to get 110 sites in 30 days to build qualifiers. <laughs> and so that, I mean, those are unbelievable, magnificent experiences I went through to help to play a part with the team to get, yeah, junior league golf going and drive, chip, a putt going. And both are unbelievable. My heart and soul, blood, sweat, and tears, a lot of travel are with both of those. And, you know, with Junior League, that was uh, certainly both of them were envisioned, and I hope that they stay with the vision of uh, getting new kids to the game and kids yeah. that, you know, like you said, play the sports. And um, the baseball analogy was on a Junior League team, as if two kids are out there, it could be two or three kids in their little pod, that you have one of the, the kids that might be the right fielder that chases butterflies. and. Mm -hmm just wants to be around the older kids in the dugout and on a particular par four, the older kid might hit a little further and then hits it up by the green, but the little kid makes a two foot putt for birdie. Right. And all he knows is, Hey, we made mm -hmm. birdie. We did great. And with dry chip and putt, you know, one of the things that was a little frustrating, I, I traveled around the country and I would talk to parents at drive chip and putt events and I'd see little kids there and I'd say, Hey, Oh, is one of these kids playing today? And they go, oh, no, they're not good enough to get to Augusta. And so I'd say, no, that's not, no, they're good enough to just hold a club and bring a smile and have some fun. And so I, I just have always said this. I hope if, if the whole premise of both of those events, Junior League and Drive Chip, we're all about the national championship, we've lost our way. Yeah. And that, that I'm sorry to say, that's not going to grow those. Uh, we need the PGA, hopefully LPGA, professionals helping to grow these and using them as developmental and introducing new kids to the game. If it's all about the championship, more accomplished kids are going to get into both and it's not going to help the game. Yeah. And, and I struggled, uh, with trying to have people understand when I'm, when I'm marketing, having our PGA junior league, whether it's the regular season or this new off season that they're doing, we've done the off season, you know, since the beginning and when we started junior league, but, it's hard for parents, especially of non-golfers or newer golfers, to wrap their mind around uh, their child getting involved because that point you just said about DCP, well, my my kid's not good enough to, whether it's go to Augusta or go to the uh, Junior League National Championship. And, and it's the same reaction that you had. It's like, no, no, that's 
That's not what this is. The the kids that have gotten involved with with our teams at least over the last couple of years that are are the newbies, they're sticking around and they've been doing it from year to year. And for me, that feels good because I was I was in that room on the committee early on with with uh, junior league. That's what you and I both know. That's what the origins of this program is supposed to be. And don't get me wrong, competition's healthy. Uh, having national championships is healthy. It's it's a second stage. It's the all stars or the kids that are the better players for DCP. That's all healthy. It's it's good for it. It makes those other kids that are getting in have something to dream about. I mean, I get goosebumps still about DCP. I've been up there every year for at Augusta for drive, chip, and putt, and it's still like one of the coolest things that I've experienced each and every year and I've been in the business for a long time it's just it's watching the reactions with with the parents and their kids and the and the hugs and the tour pros and the Augusta members interacting with these kids it's just so cool and so special and I gotta say uh the coverage golf channel just really really does it justice I mean it's just Overall, both programs are good, but like you and I both have talked about privately too, there's just a couple things to keep our eyes on so it doesn't kind of get off track. You know, it's a neat thing too. Uh, I hope Emily watches this. They realize the the members at Augusta National Golf Club, they are completely heart and soul behind this. Mm -hmm. And that was from day one. And I was privy to be in these meetings, these and, and being around the Augusta members and and I know that in their travels, they'll talk about trying to chip a putt before the tournament, the Masters tournament. So it is really special. And it's it's neat when I'm at the regional events, especially that's the last step. It goes local, sub-regional, regional. And the little kids will win their regional competition in their age. And they are so excited to get this beautiful medal and different things. Yep. The parents are crying. Mm-hmm. The little kids are going, this is the coolest thing ever. Wow, I can't wait to show my friends at school. But the the gravity of like wow I'm going Augusta, it hits the parents. Um, so it's pretty neat. But yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's remarkable to be part of what we did uh, with the teams I worked with, and uh, both events are growing. So that's that's a beautiful thing. Um, and to, the chance to go to Augusta is awesome too. But I hope people don't say you know let me get some experience with my kids with dry chip a putt. And mm-hmm. as a family, it's uh, it brings a lot of joy to see them out there. There was a little girl from uh, Lake Nona uh, here in Orlando that uh, plays in some of our Little Linksters tournaments, and she made it into uh, the finals last year. So I was talking to her mom at at Augusta and watching watching her daughter on the putting green, the practice green, getting ready to putt on 18. And Zach Johnson was out there getting warmed up for next for the following week. Uh, Bubba Watson was there. And and these guys, I mean, they could be at the practice green or at the driving range, the practice facility, warming up for probably one of the biggest major championships, and they'll stop what they're doing to watch this because I, I feel like even for those guys that have reached the highest of heights, it makes them you know kind of think back to when they were kids and God, if they if they'd only had something like this when I was a kid, I maybe could have pulled a couple more of my friends into the game. Uh, so it's just it's it goes beyond words on how cool that is. 
Yeah, I mean, real quick, you know, that, that first year we were there and Bubba Watson was watching the Golf Channel coverage in his hotel room and he came out. Yeah. That's organic. These, they were, none of them had ever been asked and, and to please come out. It's completely and utterly organic and authentic. And here, if you look at the, the um, tournament practice facility where the where we hold the drive mm -hmm. and to the side there's the the caddy building and I was standing there I was walking by and I see Billy Horschel mm -hmm. and so my daughter went to the University of Florida so I walked by and I did a little <laughs> thing and and um, I just said you know pr pretty neat and he he was there now here you're exactly right here's a tour player getting ready for one of the big you know obviously the four majors and I've seen Billy Horschel and many, many other the tour players out of the sh out of the limelight. They're just watching mm -hmm. for 30, 45, 60 minutes, the kids. And I'm just struck by, and, and they're just, they're, it, it's, it's just neat. It's just very genuine. They're mm -hmm. just watching and shaking their heads. And Billy Horschel said, I, I, I'd have been shaking in my boots out there as a kid that <laughs> It's really neat. Yeah, yeah. I, I think for the first episode and your first go with this, I think we're going to wrap it up here. What we didn't get into and what we definitely will in, in our future podcast is some instruction. So for some of the uh, some of the folks who might listen to this, this first uh, go at the second season, if you have any comments or questions on, on anything related to the game, if you want us, if you're slicing the ball and you can't figure out how to get the ball to go a little bit straighter or if your short game's a mess uh bob and i can can help you out so we're on all the different social media channels love of the links is is uh we're on youtube we're on instagram we're on facebook uh so you can go on any of those forums uh give us a question we'll bring it up on the next episode you can also reach us at love of the links at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments we are always looking for sponsors. That's something that we really didn't get into in season one, but in season two here, we definitely want to try to get some sponsors and really step up uh, the the list, the viewership, the listeners. We're going to have the taping of the the video, uh, which we're doing right now, and also the podcast itself, which can be found on Apple Podcasts, all the different podcast providers. Um, and we really want to make this grow into something big. I feel like this first go went really really well and I knew it would because uh, you know both of us are pretty passionate about about this game and what we what we do so any final thoughts before we sign off looking forward to more and more diving into some things and sharing our you know, very enthusiastic feelings and strong point of views on things but it's only to open up good discussion and mm -hmm. open up some eyes and get to people to think a little bit uh, because we want what's best for the industry, the game of golf and have people playing golf and having fun. And um, I, should, we, should we tell everybody that about the, uh, the uh, one of the upcoming things we're going to be doing uh, open mic for you. You're going to be singing. <laughs> uh, no, we didn't fully flush that one out. Oh, so okay. I, I, why, why'd you have to bring that up on, <laughs> on, on the podcast? But no, we'll we'll have some fun stuff. We talked about doing some contests and different things and some giveaways. So we're going to have a lot of fun with this. So, Bob, I appreciate your time on this first go. Uh, we don't have a set schedule. We're going to record once or twice a week and get it up on the different uh, channels for, for folks to listen to. Uh, but no, no set schedule. I'm not going to say we're every Tuesday at such a time because... 
Bob and I have our hands in a lot of different things. So again, thank you, Bob. Um, and we'll, we'll talk to everybody a little bit later. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Love of the Links Golf Radio. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Our website is littlelinksers.com backslash love. You can email us at loveofthelinks at gmail.com.